Welcome to Piecemeal, a new podcast by the EMILY program where we put it together for you. Piecemeal discusses topics related to eating disorders, body image issues, and how society may contribute to distorted thinking. I'm your host, Claire, and on today's episode, we are talking about the Minnesota Starvation Experiment with Susan Swagger. Susan completed her psychiatry residency and child psychiatry fellowship at the University of Minnesota and is currently a psychiatrist at the EMILY program. Susan is open about having an eating disorder herself when she was a Division I gymnast, and she says that talking about it led her to have a special interest in working with athletes. In addition to this, she co-authored the follow-up investigation of the Minnesota Starvation Experiment, which we are talking about today. Hi, Susan. Hi, Claire. Thanks for having me. Yeah, how are you today? Great. How about you? Good. Can you tell us a bit about what you do here at the EMILY program? Sure. Well, I started working at the EMILY program right after I completed residency and fellowship. And this was back in 2005 when the EMILY program was much smaller. I think at the time we had somewhere around 50 employees. And when I joined the group, there were no medical providers yet, which is a little bit daunting coming right out of training, Um, but also at the same time kind of fun and exciting because at the beginning I was able to help figure out how to integrate the psychiatric and medical components into programming. And how long have you been at the EMILY program? I've been here consistently since 2005. Wow, okay. And today we're talking about the Minnesota Starvation Experiment. Can you tell us what that is? Um, Well, I became involved with the Minnesota Starvation Experiment back in residency, and Dr. Alka Eckert, who is well-known in the Eden Soda community, spearheaded the project and invited me to work with her. And the Minnesota Starvation Experiment was done by Dr. Ansel Keys between 1944 and 1945. It actually took place at the University of Minnesota And this was at the time when World War II was coming to an end, and people had questions about how to help those in Europe who were affected by the war, um, people who were starving civilians, POWs, concentration camp survivors. So the purpose of the study was to look at the effects of starvation on physical, cognitive, and emotional health, and then um, to take this information and try to help those in Europe recover. Can you tell us more about what the process of the study was? Sure. Well, Dr. Keyes and his group recruited men who were conscientious objectors to World War II. And they had about 100 volunteers. And from these volunteers, they picked 36 men to be in the study. The men had to be single. They had to be healthy physically and emotionally. And also, they had to be interested in relief efforts. The average age of the men in the study was about 25 years. And the basic idea of the study was to have the men lose about 25% of their body weight to mimic conditions of what people were experiencing in Europe. They even went so far as to mimic the food available in Europe at the time with lots of potatoes and cabbage and limited amounts of meat and dairy. There were basically three parts to the study. There was a control period that lasted three months where the men's diets were adjusted to reach what the experimenters thought um, was their ideal body weight based on height, build, physical activity. And whether it was the time or this particular group of men, uh, there was not a ton of adjustment that needed to be done during this time. 
The next phase was a six-month semi-starvation phase with the goal of dropping about 25% of body weight. And then the last phase was a three-month refeeding and rehabilitation period. And during the entire year, the men were expected to try to keep up with normal life as much as possible, whether that was attending college, working part-time, um, you know, being involved in social engagements and physical activity. So simply put, the study, um, if we were just to sum it up, they had participants lose 25% of their body weight, and then the purpose of the study was to try and find the best way to refeed those individuals to mimic the symptoms from war? Exactly. Okay, and so what relevance does that have on eating disorder research? So the Minnesota Starvation Study is the only study I know of where healthy volunteers purposefully lost a significant amount of weight. In today's world, this type of study would never be repeated due to ethical concerns. However, in the original study, I think it was likely allowed to continue because of the urgent need to save lives in Europe. And these group of volunteers uh, were a really unique group, um, and they really wanted to help the war effort in their own way. And then I think, lastly, they were unaware of how harmful and long-lasting the effects of starvation could be. So, although not originally done with eating disorders in mind, this study allowed us to see the direct effects of starvation in healthy individuals, and then it has helped us to make more informed decisions about um, treating patients with eating disorders, especially in terms of what physical and emotional symptoms may be attributable to starvation itself as to as opposed to symptoms that we may need to target, which may be less likely to improve with refeeding. So the research they did was focused on refeeding after starvation and also the emotional and physical and behavioral side effects of starvation, correct? Correct. And what did the study find? What was happening in those individuals that were experiencing that starvation and then also during the refeeding process? So 32 of the 36 men who started the study were successful in losing 25% of their body weight. And I think actually we can learn a lot from the four men who were not able to achieve this. Um, two actually had to be hospitalized because they just become, became so emotionally decompensated. Um, one man exhibited psychotic or hypomanic-like symptoms. And once he was hospitalized and started eating normally again, his symptoms quickly resolved. Another man um, struggled with finding himself compulsively rooting in the garbage, eating garbage, and another man became so compulsive with chewing gum that he would chew up to 40 to 60 packs of gum a day. As far as the men who completed the study, five of them had really serious psychiatric symptoms, mostly related to depression. and. Incredibly, there was one man who was struggling with depression who actually chopped off three of his fingers with an axe when he was chopping wood, and it was unclear even to him if this was accidental or purposeful. You know, there was no evidence that this individual had any history of self-injury or suicidality prior to the study. So we're learning from the study that starvation no matter who it happens to, if it's a male, if it's a female, if it's anyone of any age, that it does have detrimental impacts to an individual's overall well-being. That's right. 
And interestingly, the MMPI, which is a widely available psychological test that we use now, had just become available, and they used the scale to evaluate the men throughout the study. And in the men who completed the study, the depression scale increased by more than two standard deviations above normal, whereas obviously it was normal at the beginning of the experiment. So we could obviously see that the increase in depression was a direct result of the starvation. Even more interesting, to me at least, um, was that the men were divided into four groups for the rehabilitation phase, and each group had a different caloric amount. And the recovery from the depression correlated with the amount of calories taken in. Um, the highest calorie group had the quickest recovery. So we see individuals with eating disorders at the EMILY program. Is it common to see folks that are restricting food and starving themselves? Do we often see depression in those develop after the eating disorder? Absolutely, and I think that's one of the most important takeaways from the study. You know, in practice, I often talk about the Minnesota, Minnesota Starvation Study um, because if people come in and they don't necessarily have a pre-morbid history of depression, meaning that they don't have a history of depression before the onset of their eating disorder, often will take a wait-and-see approach rather than starting medication, and often the depression improves as they restore weight. During the refeeding process, I imagine that was tricky to do. Were there any behaviors that were noted during that process? Was anything extreme happening? Did it go without any issue? How did that work? Yes, so after the three months of controlled refeeding, actually none of the men had restored back to their base weight. And we found that about one-third of the men uh, struggled with binging when the restrictions were lifted, often eating up to 11,000 calories a day. Um, one man actually had to be hospitalized because of gastric distension. And about half of the men had reported overeating in general. They just reported that they couldn't feel satiated, and if they did feel full, they had difficulty stopping. And what does that let us know for eating disorders? So I think you know many of the patients we see who come in, um, especially with bulimia or binge purge symptoms, report that their eating disorder started um, with them just kind of wanting to get healthy or lose a little weight. And um, often, you know, they are quote unquote successful with that. But we know for most people that is not sustainable. And our bodies want to maintain a certain um, base weight just for physical health and well being. And often, what we see is that after a period of time of restricting, the patients um, feel like they lose control and overeat and binge, and then often they feel very guilty about this and then other, use other compensatory symptoms to, quote-unquote, fix the binge. Is that similar to the cycle we see in yo-yo dieting? Exactly, and I think, you know, even with the regular population, we know that, in general, drastic diets do not work. Um, you know, we're not saying that people shouldn't be mindful of eating and nutrition, but if someone does want to make changes, they should do this in a way that's sustainable um, and where they don't 
feel deprived of, of food that they enjoy. What was the most interesting part of being a part of the study for you? I think the most interesting part was just doing the interviews with the men. Um, you know, even though it had been decades since the study, it was just amazing how excited they were about it. And I think they realized how important the study was, um, even though they may not have at the time. So they're aware that now we're using the study in eating disorder research, right? Yes. Okay. And did that change how they talked about it at all? Did they think of it in terms of an eating disorder back when the study was happening? I don't think they did when the study was originally happening. Um, You know, when we interviewed them, we explained exactly why we were asking questions of them, and they were pretty interested. I don't think even those who struggled after the study didn't necessarily think of themselves as having eating disorders, um, but they were really interested in, in what we were doing. How did this study change how we treat eating disorders? So I think in applying uh, the results of the study to patients with eating disorders, it gets a little bit tricky. It's hard to extrapolate the information from the study sample um, to the eating disorder population as a whole. I think for one thing, although we're seeing more men coming in for help with their eating disorders, which is fantastic, uh, the vast majority of our patients are still women, and obviously the study was done with men. I think also we have to think about how we compare the men in the study who were chosen because they were healthy and came in with a normal relationship with food as opposed to some of our patients who may be really high functioning in a lot of ways but likely have the genetic, temperamental, and environmental pressures to develop an eating disorder. Despite these differences, I think one of the most valuable things that is often really helpful is to talk to patients about the study and that some of the things that they're experiencing when they're restricting and losing weight are biologically almost automatic and that the only solution to that is to eat more, restore weight, and Like we said before, I think some of those symptoms will resolve over time. I think also when working with patients with bulimia, it is helpful to describe the study to them because we want them to begin eating more consistently. A lot of times patients that I see will come in and they might not eat or they'll restrict all day and then their bodies will just be very hungry and they'll lose control which will lead to a binge Um, and then you know they feel guilty about that so the next day they wake up and repeat the same pattern and you know biologically that's just not what our bodies want to do we want to be getting consistent food and i think there's a lot of biological pressure to maintain health a healthy weight and that sort of thing if someone who had no idea what the study was asked you about it how would you describe it in just one sentence i would say the minnesota starvation study takes a look at 
the physical and psychological effects of starvation and refeeding. If they asked you why it was important, what would you say to that? I think it's really important because we have nothing else like that that exists out there. Um, and, and like I said before, because of ethical issues, which were probably looser at the time, we just won't be able to capture that data again. So it's one of a kind for a study, correct? Yes. Okay. And just moving away from the study, so you're a psychiatrist here at the EMILY program. If you could give anyone considering recovery or currently restricting food or binging or having any sort of eating disorder, what advice would you give them? Well, I think, first of all, um, talk to people around you. I think there are so many people we see coming in and they've struggled with their eating disorder for years and years, sometimes even decades, and they just feel like they have to live with it. So I think my first word of advice would be to, you know, it doesn't have to be at the EMILY program, but share what's going on with people around you you love, and then please come in and get some help because things can be much better. You don't have to live with the distress of the eating disorder. You told us that you recovered from an eating disorder yourself. Can you share what the best part of recovery has been for you? A few things. I I don't think I can pick one, but um, I think being able to be a healthy role model for my three daughters is probably the best thing about being able to recover. Um, I think also not that you can understand patients with eating disorders without having one, but I think my experience has perhaps helped me understand the patients I work with a little bit better and how hard recovery can be. I would actually say recovering from the eating disorder was probably the hardest thing I've done in my life, you know, more difficult than medical school, residency. Um, And then the last thing is more personal. Um, I have found that I really enjoy running and I've recently started to do triathlons and um, you obviously have to be in a healthy state to be able to do those things and those are things that just bring me a lot of joy and I wouldn't be able to do that if I wasn't recovered. If you could tell your three daughters anything, what would you want them to know? Well, I would say one thing I try to do at home is, you know, I think especially with girls, we're so prone to saying, oh my gosh, you're so cute, you look so pretty. I think one thing I try to emphasize is, you know, things that aren't appearance-based, like, oh my gosh, you worked so hard on that project, or you were such a good friend in that situation. I think those are the things I really want to highlight for my kids, you know, going through life. Great. Thank you so much for joining us today, Susan. Thanks, Claire. It was really interesting to learn more about the experiment. I mean, I've read articles online and there's been a bunch on eating disorder blogs, but it's interesting to learn more. So thank you. Thank you. If you're interested in learning more about the Minnesota Starvation Experiment, you can find additional information about the first study and then the follow-up study in our show notes. If you enjoyed this episode of Piecemeal, please leave us a review, rate, or subscribe. Piecemeal is edited by myself, Claire Holtz, 
and produced by me and Nancy Linden. If you want to learn more about us at the EMILY program, you can visit emilyprogram.com or go to any social media. We're all on there as at emilyprogram. As always, we wish you all happy and healthy healing. <laughs>